0: I'll apologize in advance if, my, if I can't control the volume of my voice. I woke up Friday and I couldn't hear out of my right ear. And I don't really know. I'm not aware that we have any ear, nose, throat people in the congregation. But if you are, please see me after. Um, but I will invite Sarah Hammond to come up and read our scripture for us. She'll sound better, I promise.
1: A bit. Um, I'm reading this morning from First Corinthians fifteen thirty-five through forty-nine. Can you hear me? Okay. But someone will ask, "How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come?" You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead.
0: As I alluded to earlier, we're following Easter in uh, uh, the first part of this uh, 15th chapter to First Corinthians, talking about resurrection. We're, we're following up in that lecture, and, and uh, I, I get this kind of butcher shop passage about mm-hmm. different kinds of flesh uh, after Matt got a really challenging passage last week. Um, and it was a funny thing, preparing the sermon um, this week um, during... Uh, Earth Day, and, and there's this, this huge seed uh, nature analogy. Paul's trying to help the Corinthian community <coughs> wrap their heads, wrap our heads, around this whole resurrection thing. So he uses a metaphor from nature. It's a seed being planted and yielding new life, an image that we can start to understand no matter how green our thumbs are, right? Right? Uh, He's he he even he starts to get frustrated, and this is like kind of a, a weak translation. Um, it, it's it's pretty mild because when he says foolish, he, what he's really sa- saying is fools. You guys are idiots for missing the point here. You see, they're having a hard time realizing how fundamental resurrection is to who they are, to who they've become, to where they're headed. So he resorts to that seed analogy. Perhaps, I don't know, I like to think maybe he wrote this letter in the springtime. Or maybe like the Corinthian community had a garden on their side yard like we do here at Oak Church. And it's starting to sprout up so he can just point. You know, maybe that garden is evidence in growth and transformation. New life happening. If you think about this, it's really blows your mind, especially if you have to try to explain this to a three-year-old, how you can plant a seed and then a plant grows. That's a a miracle. That's like, that's a mystery right before our eyes. So he uses this metaphor of a seed growing to help them understand the resurrection of Jesus' body that gives hope for the resurrection of their bodies in our bodies. And in fact, the whole new creation to come. It's a pretty good analogy. Paul's not like out in the wind on this one. He's he's kind of got present. Jesus even used an analogy like this in John 12. He said, "Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates Their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Both Paul and Jesus reminds us that what goes in has a bearing but little resemblance to what comes out. Everyone knows a tomato seed grows a tomato plant, but could you really tell that they're related just by holding them in each hand? Or maybe like, According to the most basic plot of a kid's book, you know, a, 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 an ugly caterpillar goes in a cocoon. And what happens next? What? A butterfly, right? And they're, they're definitely related. It's not magic, but they're, they're pretty hard to, hard to tell, one that would directly turn into the other. And I think there's more to this analogy, and, and, and I, want, I want just to make a few points today. The first point is that, uh, that resurrection fuels our expectation for transformation. Resurrection fuels our expectation for transformation. Last week, I, when I was thinking about this, I, I started to realize how little hope I have for transformation. How much hope do you have for transformation? Like for big things, but for little things too. For, my, for myself, for other people, for places and, and systems. Things seem so set, so kind of calcified. People are never gonna get broken out of their addictions, whether it's a sin or a drug, It's hard to know how to deal with sickness, whether that's physical or mental or otherwise. Relationships are never gonna heal. Long worn grooves of injustice and suspicion and oppression, they're not gonna just jump the tracks all of a sudden. What do you do when someone shows up on your doorstep with bruises on their wrists because they had handcuffs during the last week. How do you help that? How can that change? Where is the hope for transformation in that? And then there's the other side, and, and this is even the other side of this neighborhood that we're in right now. Little hope for transformation for, for people who don't know God and aren't in a relationship with Jesus, but they weirdly seem pretty happy, pretty normal and well-adjusted and cool and fulfilled. Durham has a lot of awesome Sunday brunch options. Like, why would they want to be here? Why would they want anything to do with church or Jesus or resurrection? Durham's a, a place of renewal, right? This is a story we're getting revival, change, transformation. You can go downtown and find your cool here. But what is resurrection? What does spiritual transformation have to do with any of this? I think resurrection tells a completely different story. And this is a picture of, I don't know how well you can see it, but it's of the Valley of the Dry Bones. There's all these bones here and there's resurrection renewal happening. Resurrection tells the story of hope, of assurance that change is not only possible, but it's inevitable. It's not natural. It's It's very supernatural, you guys are allowed to to believe that, right? That it's above our powers, um, even to imagine, but it involves us. That we can look at dry bones of lives and places, the valleys that they lie dead in, and we can completely expect transformation, that's good news. It's not wishful thinking, but it's good news of hopeful expectation for real transformation. Physical, spiritual, emotional transformation. Transformation in families, and transformation in our church, in our neighborhood, in Durham, and beyond. Sometimes it's, I have to remind myself this, uh, sometimes it's when I feel most ill-equipped, most like overwhelmed by... My crazy need around me, my own crazy need, or my own apathy or the apathy of people around it, that's, that's where resurrection happens. Resurrection happens to death, to dead people, to dry bones. The possibility for transformation happens smack in the middle of the impossible. As Jesus said, "If a seed dies, it produces many." Seeds. So resurrection, gosh, I'm terrible at this thing. I'm going the wrong way. That's why I don't do it. So resurrection not only fuels our expectation for transformation, it fuels our imagination for transformation. We don't only expect it in ourselves because we have each other, and these are good reasons to expect it in ourselves, because we have each other. Parts of the body of Christ. Little Christ. That's what the the earliest church, when they started calling them Christians, that's what it meant, is little Christ, walking around, speaking good news to each other, challenging each other, mourning with those who are mourning, delighting with those who are rejoicing, loving us with the love that we've been given in Christ. We have that. we have Christ in our midst through us, we also have an unbelievable story that's become our story. This is a resurrection story through and through, from the beginning to the end. Thousands of years, generations and generations of God's people anticipating and then experiencing and then trying to make sense out of God's ability to create and recreate in this world that he loves. The Bible has a a catalog of these redemptive moments, these stories where God surprises us with new life. From Genesis 2, when he, he breathes with the spirit life into a lump of clay to form humanity, to, like I said, this valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, his creation renewing God at work amongst us. And I want to read a little from Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 36, over this valley of dry bones, he says, I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove you from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is our story. This exilic story is the story of the church sprinkled with water and made clean from our sin and idolatries and then furnished with a new heart a new spirit breath in our lungs the places where our heart was cold and dead and unresponsive and callous has been surgically removed and restored so that we can love God in each other we're given an inheritance a place at the table and the covenant that we've broken again and again has been made new through the covenantal sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the new covenant. Resurrection has once again made us God's people, made him our God, now, always. Resurrection, because of this story, forms our imaginations so we can look around and see ordinary things and hear this story, hear these tapes running in the background, things that we take for granted, People and places, uh, even sites of disaster or subtle sites of struggling that we can notice or maybe that we don't even notice, that's just under the surface in people's lives. Places of neglect or um, places that, that we start to recognize as dry bones, we can imagine them being raised. Uh, I love, um, you know, uh, to. To see, to see places that, that this has happened. And, and, and I imagine we'll start to see, as the, the rubble clears um, from the earthquake, places where this is starting to happen. But um, years after it, uh, the, this, is, this is a photo from the, the ninth ward uh, post-Katrina. And, and, and I think this is, this is what it looks like to have our imaginations formed by the resurrection for what can happen Uh, uh, that you can look at wreckage, you can look at uh, just terror and death and imagine new life. Uh, You know, this imagination doesn't have us just look at at despair and say, oh, we just need to clear-cut it, annihilate it, and start clean. No, it, it, it makes us look out with hope that we don't need to abandon, but we need resurrection. We need... To be raised by God's Spirit, so maybe that's that's our calling most of the time, individually, um, in all our different like places that we have access to that no one else has access to, in our families, in our church. Maybe that's our calling: is to be so soaked in this story of the resurrecting God, to be so seasoned in prayer, in communion with God that. We, we can look at things and, and, and we're also paying attention enough to look around and see what's happening. To have the courage to interpret these things and to tell the truth about what we're seeing when someone asks in a way that we're, we're kind of like resurrection tour guides. Walking around and, and looking for the ways that God's working And helping people, helping each other understand what this transformation is, what's possible. The last thing is that resurrection is fueled by the Spirit. Because if you're like me, all this sounds really great, but it's really overwhelming because I don't think I can generate it for myself. And the good news is that we don't have to generate this for ourselves. Resurrection is... Fueled by the spirit. And we, we kind of lose this, um, this like subtle but major point. Paul tells the Corinthians about this rebirth, this new life. He can't help but bring in the spirit. Our translations kind of hurt us here, though. We glaze over the term spiritual. Um, I think we either, I don't know, it it, it reeks of like, I'm spiritual but not religious, or or maybe we just like um, make it so like ethereal that we disconnect it from the bone and sinew of every day, uh, or we, we put it on a pedestal, so like, he's so spiritual, I could never be like that. Um, it's this pedestal of attainment that we couldn't get to, and we're frustrated, so we don't even try. But when Paul says spiritual, he doesn't mean unreal, he doesn't mean esoteric, but it's related to the Spirit of God. Spiritual for Paul is of the Spirit, capital S. The Lord, the giver of life. For Paul, resurrection, both Christ's resurrection of his body and ours, is only known through God's Spirit. He says uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in honor, in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And just I don't do these slides very much, but I think it's helpful for us here. And you're going to get like a dime store Greek, uh, biblical Greek session here, which is really great. Um... I'll collect those dimes later. Um, Our transformation that we expect, that we imagine, that is fueled by the Spirit, some of the effects move us from perishable, that which can and will die, these bodies that we know too well, which hurt, which need healing, which wake up on Fridays and can't hear out of one ear mysteriously. They don't function the way they need to. Our knees pop. We limp. We, they transform to that which Christ has beaten death and, and they can no longer die. That's what we look forward to. That's what we expect. They transform from dishonor to glory. And we all know that these places in our bodies, these histories with our bodies that bring us shame, that we cower, you know, like, like that Genesis story when um, God is looking for Adam and Eve and they 're hiding they 're covering themselves because they've they 've run from God. These places where our bodies have been abused or misused, things we regret they 're going to be transformed into glorious reflecting image bearing beings, reflecting the God that we 're created to resemble our bodies and our hearts vulnerable like naked, vulnerable, but righteous, unashamed, like and better than our ancestors in the garden. The transformation will be from weak, fragile, and failing to powerful, empowered by the Spirit for worship, love, and service. And then this is the, this is the hard one here, from, from natural to spiritual. And here's your, here's your Greek lesson. When a word ends in ikos, I K O S is how you would translate it, it means of the. So psychikos is of the psyche, pneumikos is of the spirit. But even that doesn't really help us that much here. Because there's a difference between when you say something is of something, there's a difference in saying what it's made of and what it is. Um, empowered by or animated by so often we we kind of get off a little easy because we we assume that a body of the psyche of the soul is made of the soul it's like something you can touch and grab it's natural Um, and that the body made of the spirit is somewhere hovering about you know six feet above the earth and it never touches the ground but when Paul says this, when Paul writes this, he's talking about a body empowered by the soul, something that just is kind of enclosed and starts and ends with us. And he's talking about a body that's empowered by the spirit, something that taps into the life-giving, uh, life-blowing spirit of the living God. This is, this is explosive. This is, this is the difference between saying, well, what kind of boat is it, uh, and and settling for it's a wooden boat or it's a iron ship to saying it's a sailboat or it's a steam engine you know uh, this is what powers us this is this is huge this is possibly life changing because we're no longer we're, we're no longer the beginning the beginning and end of this Resurrection says you're part of the life of God. God lives in you. God's spirit dwells in you. That's, that's where Paul starts to use temple language. That's where Paul starts to use glory language. Because we're tapped into a source that's so big, so eternal, it has no end. And Jesus, um, after kind of freaking his disciples out, um, teaching that they got to eat his flesh and drink his blood, um, and then be raised on the last day. He he tells them something along these lines. He says, "The spirit gives life; the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you they are full of the spirit and life." This starts to anticipate this, and then Paul elaborates on this a little later to the Roman church, and he says. However, are not in the realm of the flesh, your resurrection people. You are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Can I get an amen? Like, we're not an amening church. We should be, I think. Yeah. Friends, this is good news. That Jesus died and was raised by God's Spirit for our sake, and that implicates us in his death and now in his life, his resurrection life because of the Spirit. It makes us expect crazy things, transformation, renewal. It makes us expect that in our own lives. It makes us ask others to help us do that transformation. It makes us, it makes us hope. It makes us speak good news. To be raised is our future. Eternal life is our future, and that eternal life starts now. Before we close, I, I just want to pray, and, and I want to read a prayer um, from a friend named Bruce Benedict, who's a chaplain up at Hope College, and it's a prayer to the Holy Spirit. And, and just, just pray with me. Let, let this prayer wash over you. Pray with me. (coughs) Holy Spirit, holy breather, moving this way and that, invisible to our broken, Adamic eyes, come breathe on us. Come breathe and lift and swirl and fill perforate our lives with your holy breath and enliven these cold, forsaken bones. Winnow away death that life may spring up. Wind of God, blow far from us. All dark despair, all deep distress, all groundless fears. All sinful desires, all Satan snares, all false values, all selfish wants, all wasteful worries. Breath of God, blow into us your holy presence. Your new creation, your living love, your healing touch. Your unearthly courage, your mighty strength, your perfect peace, your boundless concern your divine grace, your never-ending joy, wind of God, blow strong, blow fresh, blow on us now in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.